Hello, Lion Cook Nation. This is Ray DeLuji with the Lion Cook Thoughts Podcast. Hope everyone is doing well and staying safe. Welcome back to another episode. This week, I am very excited to bring back a guest who's been on a couple times, Chef Chris Spear, one of my uh, favorite guests, someone who I really enjoy talking to, someone who I've been great friends with in the food media space for a couple of years now. Really excited for you to hear our chat. But before we begin, if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, please leave a review. An honest review is all I ask, not five stars or anything like that. I want your honest opinion, opinion on the show, what I can be better at, what you like, what you don't like. Anything in between, please leave a review. It means a ton for me. It helps me get better as a podcaster and helps me make the show better that you listen to every week. Also, if you like anything related to the food industry information-wise, go to linecookthoughts.com and hit subscribe to the weekly newsletter that I sent out. It is called Prepless Items. It's a weekly newsletter of information, um, ideas, articles, gear, anything you can imagine that relates to food. I put into these small bite-sized pieces and I send them out every week in a newsletter. So go to linecookthoughts.com, check out Prepless Items. I drop it every Monday in the hopes that you all can read it on an off day, Mondays and Tuesdays being the days that a lot of cooks and chefs are off. So go check it out. You'll get that every Monday morning, and I hope you enjoy the newsletter. Getting to my guest today, you all should know Chris Spear by now. He's been on the podcast a couple of times. He is, like I said, a good friend in the food media space. And about him, uh, he is the owner of Chefs Without Restaurants, he, which is a podcast and blog that you can go check out at Chefs Without Restaurants on Instagram and you know his website is chefswithoutrestaurants.com. I will put all of this in the bio of the podcast episode. And Chris also owns his own business called Perfect Little Bites. And what Chris does is work not in the space of restaurants but outside of them doing a lot of uh, private chef work and uh, you know obviously working on his podcast and some food writing and a bunch of other projects. And I really do enjoy talking with Chris. I look up to him a lot in terms of his ability to forge his own path, to start his own business, and to see it through. Uh, in this podcast, we talk a lot about 2023. Uh, we begin with a cool conversation about food media and kind of different uh, wants uh, in terms of what we want out of our processes. We talk about our processes in food media. We kind of get dive a little deeper into kind of the current landscape of food in regards to food media and kind of what we've been seeing in our respective communities. We also talk about you know, sponsors, uh, scheduling, uh, different types of practices outside of creating food media in order to be better at it, and just a bunch of different random topics, uh, some favorite foods we've had recently, and much more. It really is a wide-ranging conversation with Chris going over different aspects of being a content creator, so I think if you are a content creator or if you're interested in the food media space, this would be a cool episode for you to get some insight in, and just to be able to talk to Chris and riff on some different topics is what I enjoy, is why I enjoy having him on the podcast. So Chris, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you all for listening, and enjoy this wide-ranging conversation with Chef Chris Beer. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. All 
All right, Chris, welcome back to the show. Um, how have you been? First, I guess, reintroduce yourself. I know it's been a little bit, but reintroduce yourself and then tell me how you've been the last few months. Great. Well, thanks for having me again. Uh, my name is Chris Beer. I'm the chef and owner of Perfect Little Bites, a personal chef business based in the Washington, D.C.-ish area. And I'm the founder of the group Chefs Without Restaurants, as well as the host of the podcast of the same name. And I guess that's a pretty good place to start, huh? Yeah, no, I think so. Um, it's always weird, like the reintroduction, because we've talked so much. It's like, let's just get back into things. But... Yeah, and I guess we talked like two months ago for this podcast, right? So, mm-hmm. but yeah, that, first that's week. in the, that's in the archives. You're not the only one who loses it. I was just thinking the other day that we did the 2020 wrap up episode that I was going to release that then didn't really work out either. So that's another one for the lost archives, right? Yeah, no, definitely. I, yeah, for those. Of, of, those of the audience listening, I had we had done this podcast already, and then my old MacBook um, had like just totally crashed and died, and I lost literally only Chris's recording out of like four that I had saved. So it um, definitely wasn't ideal. So I thank you for being flexible. Yeah, well, um, I've probably grown so much in two months. You know, <laughs> I know, right? Me too. Definitely some different questions. Uh, you know, as I start, I want to start out with this. As I started out the newsletter. Um, the last few weeks or months now, I think I'm at 10 weeks since I started the newsletter, definitely been doing more of a deep dive, trying to get some better data, better, um, information that's relevant to people in the industry. And recently, you know, looking at November, I'm not sure what the update's going to be now, but there was still over a million jobs open in the hospitality sector. And there was still this like, un- like inability to get people to come back to, restaurants and whatnot and as being someone who is always you know has has worked chefs at restaurants just want your insight and kind of the still a struggle of labor and do you think that is due to the industry not changing enough even though uh workers have demanded it or is there something entirely else that you see yeah i i mean i think it's really hard we lagged behind if we're talking about restaurants for so long that even now I feel like the strides that we've made, we still haven't caught up to other industries, right? Like I can remember the job I was at, you know, six years ago before I left to do my own thing. You know, we we're still paying cooks, you know, like twelve, thirteen dollars an hour, which was, you know, okay. Um, but now, you know, it, it hasn't caught up that much. Like maybe we're paying even seventeen, eighteen dollars an hour, but like compared to other industries, is that mm-hmm. enough? You know, and I think a lot of people were furloughed during the early days of COVID, let go, whatever you want to call it, and just found that there were other industries that they wanted to do. And they, you know, you'd really have to love, love, love working in restaurants to go back, I think. Yeah, no, I definitely agree. And, you know, it's interesting for me to um, kind of over the last few weeks, I, in November, end of November, I, I just, my last podcast I just put out, which will be this last week for anyone listening. I did a podcast basically like asking people in the industry, like, what are some common mistakes that young cooks make going into it? And um, the overarching idea was a lot of people had, you know, there was really good comments, but then there was people saying, like, you know, don't be cocky, put your head down, listen to those people above you. It's kind of from a negative standpoint, too. You know, there's some people that, like, you know, there's some of that where you do need to do that. You shouldn't be cocky. You shouldn't be arrogant. Then there's some people that it's, like, hazing and trying to just, like, make people feel that they're, that they're at the literal bottom and have no value within the hierarchy. And for me, it's like, we should be so excited when anyone wants to pick up a knife and goes into the food industry. Uh, and not just in restaurants, but any everything in general. And so I think it's very, like, 
interesting to see that stuff happening and um, people still having that sentiment, even though we are so, so far understaffed in the restaurant industry per se um, and in food in general. So I don't know. I think it's interesting that a lot of those attitudes still carry over when there's really no time or place for them. Yeah, I mean, I think everything needs to have a little balance, right? You know, when you go into work a place, you do have to be a little humble, you know, find out how they do it there, you know, follow their procedures and stuff. But it should also be like a little give and take, you know, in my kitchens that I've run, I always wanted feedback and input from my staff. I didn't even like being called chef. Like I almost found it uncomfortable when someone called me chef. It's it's Chris, you know, Mm -hmm. and I would love to work with young people, you know, maybe even 17 years old, first job, and just really work with them. And I think there's a lack of mentorship. You know, that's a blanket statement, because obviously, I'm not in every million kitchens out there. But a lot of places I've been in, it just seems like for whatever reason, there's a real lack of mentorship and kind of leading the next generation, you expect so much out of them. But have you really taken the time to train them properly, uh, and Mm -hmm. work with them? Yeah, no, definitely. I think that mentorship key is super important. I feel very grateful and blessed that I've had a lot of great mentors um, within my culinary career, people who have been honest with me, who have kind of shaped what how I view the industry and how I viewed making decisions. Uh, so interested, I don't know if I ever asked you this, because someone who over the last well, quite a few years has kind of worked on their own with their own, how do you still find that mentorship? How do you still find that guidance from people with experience? people like you, you know, I, as I also do a lot of like, you know, food creation, I think you and I have a lot of the same peers, you know, Justin Khanna, Mm -hmm. guys like that. I've been in a number of online and in person kind of like masterminds or just like support groups, right? So talking to people who are kind of at the same place as me, some who are maybe a little above who I can get advice from, and then some who are maybe a couple rungs down who I can help. So just surrounding myself with a good group of people. So whether we're talking about, you know, how to grow your personal chef business, having, you know, a handful of, you know, five, six people who I can talk to about that. I think it's really important. That's why I started Chefs Without Restaurants, to have a community where we could all kind of crowdsource best resources and help each other grow and succeed. I think whatever industry you're in, whatever job you're in, you should find people who you can kind of bounce ideas off with and, you know, ask for help. Accountability partners. There's a guy right now I'm working with. He's a food podcaster. And we are meeting every single week online. And we're just, you know, last week he said to me, let's set a goal of sponsors. We each need to go out there and reach out to at least seven people, seven businesses this week and talk to them about sponsorship for the podcast and having someone to, you know, this coming Thursday, I need to talk to him and say, yes, I've done it or no, I haven't. I think that's Mm -hmm. really important. Yeah, no, definitely. I think that's interesting. uh, The whole sponsor, like moving forward with that. Um, Yeah, I think that it's important, right, to have that accountability piece. And I, I think maybe that is something I could use definitely because I think for me, it's like there's so much you could do, right? When you own a media project or anything really, but I, let's just go, go into food media. Like when you own a project, like there's, you could spend your entire day doing things and you still won't ever be at, like done or have grasped or done everything you could have been doing. So it's just like, it can be daunting sometimes and like, I feel like my most productive days are those days when I make lists and can knock them out piece by piece. Uh, do you have a method on being productive with your show? And like, how do you get out of those ruts where you kind of are not feeling it? Just kind of scheduling out days. Like I try and have set days of the week that I do things. Um, the hard part about that is with my business, it changes. I don't have a set work schedule. I don't work a Monday through Friday. So uh, I really have to look at my schedule and say, okay, this week I'm really busy. So I need to get ahead. 
for me, it's having, like we're talking about the podcast, different types of episodes and that being either solo or guest and long and short. So like this week, we just came off of New Year's, right? I was super busy, did not have a time to edit the hour and a half shows to get out this week. So the show that's coming out tomorrow is going to be like a repurposed episode that I have with a new intro and I can get the episode done and out in 40 minutes. Um, start to finish, knowing that I have something like that. So for me, it's like, what are the backup plans? Like if I'm committed to releasing an episode every week, regardless, I need to be able to have something that I can pull off in a day's editing and not three days. Um, But I I know like I'm not a schedule guy. I'm not a structure guy. 2023, I'm hoping is the year that I kind of have some plans in place where I'm a little more structured um, Mm -hmm. because not having someone I report to has been kind of hard, but I'm six years into doing my own thing, and I'm doing okay, I think. Yeah, no, I would say so, especially since you've been able to prolong it for so many years. Um, it's interesting that when you're, like, your own boss, kind of the the drive you can have and then, like, the slumps of, like, not doing it you can have too. And I, I don't know. I th- I'm definitely the type of person that, like, when I get excited about something, I really put my all into it. And, like, with Line Cook Thoughts, it's definitely been a, a experience and a test in – uh, marathon type work where I haven't really had before. I've never really, like, this is the longest, now this is the longest relationship I've ever had with anything. This is longer than I was in high school. This is longer than anyone I've dated. Um, I mean, cooking may, I guess, beats that, but beyond that, like, that's like, this is the longest I've ever had to, like, you know, do anything with, like, one, if that makes sense. Like, it just, the, the period of time, I guess I'm trying to say, not comparing it to any of those things, but the period of time is so much longer than, like, most things in my life that I've been um, with. And so for me, someone who gets really excited and finds most of my creative energy comes in these short bursts, being able to keep that up over a long period of time, I've, I've found has been for me the most difficult part of it. And now that I'm not excited about it, but it's like, I feel, I, I know for myself creatively, I, I need to work on more so putting myself in a seat and getting the work done instead of like being excited about it and getting the work done and then like waiting a little bit or like having these periods in between. And I will say this last year was very difficult. So I, I feel like I've had some good excuses as to not do the work, but I don't know. I don't know if you agree with that, but like just the labor of love it takes to kind of continue a podcast is, and a brand is fun, but also well, hard. I mean, there's so much stuff that's not fun to do, right? Like some mm-hmm. people really um, love digging into some of that stuff. I mean, there's a lot of stuff I hate about it. Right. And if you're doing it yourself and some people would say you should outsource that stuff. I'm not at that point yet. Um, so for me, it's like time blocking. So let's, you know, go back to this whole sponsorship thing rather than just spreading it out over a couple days or weeks. It's like, I'm going to take three hours today. I'm going to set the timer on my phone. I'm not going to do anything else. And I'm going to spend three hours researching brands, sending them emails, sending them my, you know, media kit, my pitch, whatever, but it's going to only be three hours on that thing. I'm not going to go down the hole of like, oh, Instagram's open. And while I'm here, I'm going to scroll and get distracted. I really need to do that. So then just having what are the top things I need to get done right now, whether that's for my personal chef business, whether that's for the podcast, and just really say I need to work on this fully focused for three hours, especially things that I don't necessarily love, like sending pitches to brands is not something I enjoy doing. Right. But if you want sponsorship, they're not just going to come to you. Yeah. I find sponsors interesting because I think my community's, uh, I mean, the community, my community size podcast wise is good, but 
it's not gonna like we're not at a level that like would make me rich by any means if I started doing sponsors. I, I what's cool with Anchor and being through Spotify is I can run Spotify ads on mine now. So a lot of you know if you don't know how it works, Spotify has preset ads that they can just insert into your podcast. So I mean that, that's very minimal. Um, yeah, I use oh, Buzzsprout like, and they do the same thing. And yeah. every month based on your thing, it says, you could be making $57 this month. It's like, <laughs> okay, like I would actually rather not because who knows what those ads are going to be. Like $57 isn't a lot to the trade-off being like the I don't know, credibility of my show or the sponsors. Like I'd rather handpick it. But yeah, I mean, these people who say you can quit your job and be podcasting full-time and make six figures, like I think it takes a lot of work to get to that point. And I think a lot of that money is bundled in with like you have an ebook or a course or something like you're not just going to get it off of sponsors. Like even if you make 500 bucks a month on, you know, sponsor ads like that, it, it helps and it's nice, but that's not why we do it. Right. Like the time trade off, it, it just doesn't make sense in that regard. And I'm not going to kind of go into what you just said there, but what I was going to get it, get to is like for me, a way for me to make income that I've found like as a side hustle and I'm using quotes with my hands is writing. Like my time is better spent doing freelance writing for me. Cause I, it's something that I'm particularly, I would say I'm particularly good at after having some a good amount of success and finding a lot of freelance writing positions in the last few years. So I came to that realization where it's like, I don't really care if like my podcast is sponsored. I do think it's cool to have sponsors. I think just having one or two, like even the automatic ones, of course, like, no one likes ads, but at the same time, I find that it, like, I don't know, I do like that there's, like, a little bit of a break, there's a little bit of, like, a third-partiness to it. Obviously, it, although very minimal, makes some, like, like we're talking pennies on the dollar, or pennies for a dollar, like, to a dollar per episode, but I don't know, I do think it gives a little bit more legitimacy to, like, hey, this is, like, something that I'm really putting an effort to and whatnot, but beyond that, like, for me, my time... I found was more valuable pitching for writing jobs than pitching for sponsorships. So I think it's like all depends on like what you're kind of looking for and what you're what like the, like the realistic time, like feedback you could get for that. Um, and, but I think for you, like I know your congrats, by the way, your podcast just hit over 100,000 downloads, not there yet. I think I'm around 88,000 total downloads. So we're close. But um, congrats on that. It's, Thank you. It's a big deal. Well, yeah, like to, to your point, like it leads to other opportunities, right? There's the, not quantifiable and sometimes quantifiable. I actually started getting paid to do some writing as well. And that was really nice. And I think that's because some of these publications look and they're like, oh, wow, you have this you know, successful podcast. You've had these guests. Like, would you be interested in writing? And then I've gotten to do some of that as well. So it kind of adds into that. I'm also getting cooking jobs because of the podcast. Like mm -hmm. the visibility of that brand brings people into like this overarching funnel that I have, if you want to use the term funnel, because it kind yeah. of is. And then now I'm being able to cook for people and make money that way. So mm -hmm. yes, maybe I'm only making a couple hundred bucks a month on audio ads. Um, but the podcast has led to a lot of other opportunities and I just enjoy doing it when I'm not enjoying doing it. I'm going to be done with it. And there have been some times where I'm just like the grind, right? Like, <laughs> uh, I don't know. I don't know. Can I get an episode out this week and just have to kind of think about why I'm doing this and then push on. Yeah. I think one more thing I'll add with having ads. I just, I I'm playing around with them this month for everyone listening. I just started them like two episodes ago. And we're seeing how they do. Um, I think it's also just because I've never run ads really in my podcast. I, I think I've run one ad in the hundred and whatever plus that I've done. Um, so I think it's interesting. I just wanted to try it out and see where they would fit best. So I've kind of been switching up where they're put in. 
It's just more so my piece. I'm like, where do people stay engaged if I put them in? Because I'm coming to a point where I can, where I'm starting to talk to some people, and it's easier to do it and add that. I'd rather use Spotify as my guinea pig than like a company that's paying me that's like local or small or anything like that. But it's interesting, like when you like think about that stuff, because it's like it's so it could be important, but. For me, like, it, it isn't right now. And, and obviously, like, it never has. For me, like, I, <laughs> Line Hook Thoughts, I've spent more than I've made totally on this brand. And I love it. But, I mean, that's what I'm passionate about. So I think it's cool. Um, but going back to writing, you said, because it sparked in my head. Like, I, the reason I got into writing was because I had, I mean, I always loved writing. And I've been doing writing. But I had Chandra Ram on from Plate Magazine, the editor of Plate at the time. And after the podcast, I was like, hey, would you be willing to give me a shot to write for you? And, like, it was that podcast interview that led to that relationship, which led to me writing for Plate, which led me to writing for other outlets, which now has led me to have um, freelance profiles and whatnot in different sites. So it's like, yeah, I mean, like, that, the monetary return is there. It's just in different ways that aren't sponsored ads. Yeah, that's really cool. I saw you post about the freelance writing. I mean, mm-hmm. that's huge. Um, you know, I, I never even thought about doing that. I've always enjoyed writing before Perfect Little Bites was a personal chef business. It was a food blog, right? Like for years, people introduced me as a blogger, which at the time I hated. I was like, no, I'm a chef. Like I went to culinary school. I have a culinary Mm -hmm. degree. Don't call me a blogger. So I was like this pejorative term. And now I've come to terms with the fact that, sure, call me whatever, as long as I'm enjoying what I'm doing, right? Yeah, no, definitely. And I think it's, um, I think with the freelancing, it's been really cool. Uh, if, if for everyone who doesn't know, I, so I, I, sh- I think I share this more personally than professionally. I mean, I'm open to sharing it, but it's just not something. It wasn't co- line cook thoughts content, but I do a lot of work on uh, a website called Upwork.com. Uh, basically, it's a freelance gig site, and you know, there's a lot of there are a lot of jobs that are like f- 15 bucks for like 3,000 words, like stuff that isn't use like w- is kind of worthless. Um, for me though, it's all profile based, right? So you go on. If you do a couple of jobs and finish them, you start to get like noted as someone who's a good writer and someone who does their your, their jobs successfully. And if you, as long as you like do consistent work, that's good. Your profile really does stand out. And so now I'm at a point where, at any given month, I have four to five different clients I'm doing writing for, and it doesn't take up a ton of my time because it's writing, and I'm I feel like I have a good system for writing and how I do it. But um, yeah, it's just one of those things. Like I would have never even explore this if I didn't just work first write for like all these like institutions and then writing for them like during the last few years like there you know things happen where it's like yeah you're a freelance writer so sometimes you have work sometimes you don't how can I keep continually getting work so yeah it all it all comes back though to that one podcast interview that really got me into professional writing so which comes down to relationship building right like people talk to me all the time and ask for advice and it's all building relationships. I actually wrote for Plate as well because I've been talking to Chandra for a number of years. And Caroline, who's with them, you know, I know her mm-hmm. from Star Chefs. I met her 10 years ago, right? And it was, like, great, yeah. it was like 10 years of me talking to her and knowing her before I got my opportunity to write for Plate, right? Mm-hmm. And, but, you know, from the outside, people say like, wow, that was really cool. How'd that happen? It's like, well, I met this person a decade ago and we've stayed in contact, right? Like always be you know just talking to people and building relationships i think that's super important i think also what i've learned especially with freelance work and food media that in my opinion i'd love to hear your like view on this but like a lot of the writing i do now 
doesn't have my name on it. It's ghostwriting. I can put it on my I put it on like where my resume, what I've done, and what like my jobs have been, and all that. But when the people I write for publish it, they're not using my name. And it's not like ghostwriting in a sense where I'm like writing in someone else's name, but it's like it might be for a you know it might be for something that someone's selling, or it might be for it might be like a quote or a, like something along the lines of like writing someone's profile, right? Like if I'm helping a chef write their profile. Uh, I'm, they're not going to say, oh, this was written by <laughs> Ray DeLucci. You know what I mean? So it's like some of the work that I do, it doesn't, I don't get any attribution attribution to in like the publicity side of it, but it gets me more work. It gets me more experience and it gets me better at it. And obviously I make money on it. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about like freelance, your, all of your freelance work not being, like, have you ever been in that situation? I haven't. Well, ego's the enemy. Is that right? And I guess uh, <laughs> if you have a big ego, you'd want your name put on it. But uh you know, I, I do think that's an interesting thing because a lot of people, it is about the name and being able to see your name out there and having it. But there's a lot of industries where people do work, almost every industry. I mean, is it really any different than working in a kitchen where you're a line cook and you're making mm-hmm. specials and putting out awesome dishes and chef so-and-so is the chef of the restaurant and you never get no. any credit for it? Like, it's essentially the same thing. Oh, it's a job. I mean, I'll give you an example of like the quote-unquote ghostwriting is like about a year ago I did some like writing about products like different things that a company is selling and um kind of just like what they're you know selling like describing it from a chef's like vantage point and like my like they're not putting my name on that to like sell the customers but it's like still good experience it starts a relationship it's like so i guess it's all about like what you're looking for and where you're at for me being 25 it's like i'm trying to pay off student loans like these extra jobs help that i'm not really worried about my name being put on everything so it just depends and it's still part of your portfolio and your resume. You can still hold that up and say, like, this is work that I did. Mm-hmm. Definitely. And so going into 2023, kind of getting into our next part of the conversation is, you know, I think for me, like you said, too, I think systems for me are going to be a big part. Lists, systems, daily habits and practices. I definitely feel like the most secure and being able to do all of that, in my, like the most I've ever felt in my life right now. So I feel very comfortable. Like I, things really worked out for me at the end of 2022, and I'm like very grateful for that. So 2023, like I have a very set schedule, which means I have, can have a very set out of work schedule, and just like a little bit more free like time to do certain things. Um, so for me, like systems including to do lists daily, um, meditation practices at night. I'm really trying to implement um, setting time blocks for things, like you said, and not just for work, but for reading for um writing and then obviously for like reaching out to people in the community especially on instagram and doing podcast uh, ideation or whatnot uh I, i'll admit that for me a big disappointment for myself was last year only putting out about 30 podcasts in a 52 week calendar year like that i've never done it that low and like i said before it definitely there were some reasons uh, we had a family member pass away job layoff move etc but still like that i hated that the number was that number so that's what I'm kind of moving forward to in this, like, I guess in the vibe of going into a new year. Are there any, like, changes you're making that you are, that's going to help you kind of be on track? Yeah, going back to what works. So I'm using a system called the 12-week year. I don't know if you've ever heard of it. It was a book. And mm-hmm. um, basically the idea that 
you know, a lot of people procrastinate and they put off until the deadline. So like, what if we just made faster deadlines or shorter deadlines, right? So breaking the year into 12 week chunks. So you're essentially every three months getting stuff done. So it's, mm. you know, it's a three ring binder I have. And then you have, you know, the beginning of the week, like, what are you working on this week? And what do you need to get done? And then kind of time blocking. And then every sheet has a day and you just spend 15, 20 minutes, you know, Sunday night is my night to do that. And I put together, you know, Monday is the day when I have that three hour focus block. And then every day, kind of what are the things that need to get done and really moving up personal health, wellness, and just like work life balance on there. So putting things on there, like meditation, working out, you know, time with the family and the kids and putting that into the blocks, because Mm -hmm. um, I know you're single. I have a wife, I have two kids, like that's a huge um, time commitment, you know, and things that I want to do. Right. So balancing that out. And sometimes it just means putting that on the calendar. For me, it's doing this 12 week year so that I can kind of block off and really prioritizing health and wellness. You know, today I've been tired the past couple of days just cause I've been working so much and I got the kids back on the bus. It was their first day back to school after Christmas break. And I went to the spa today. I went to, it's like a Roman bath in, um, mm. Berkeley Springs, West Virginia and did like a mineral bath for like an hour because I'm, as much as I had to do today, I'm like, I just need a day to like go a little, I did a little hiking. So like hiking through the mountains of West Virginia, go do a mineral bath, come home and then start the work and like finding more balance like that. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think that's awesome. I mean, I I give you a lot of credit, man, like having a family and doing all this. I know a big part for me, I guess, to be a little bit more personal is finding that balance. I can be very unbalanced in that in my work, like professional, like my full-time job, and then with line cook thoughts, I definitely have struggled with, per- you know, I don't want to say anymore, but I definitely in the first two years of doing this, I struggled with personal relationships and personal boundaries and making time for people because all I was focused on was this. And uh, as with everything in the food industry, if you focus on something too much, other things like tend to slip away. So I feel like I'm at a point now where I found that balance as a single person, but then to have a family on top of that, man, I give you a lot of credit. Well, thank you. It's um, it's a work in progress. And some years are better than others. You know, a couple of years ago, I was doing better. And then, you know, COVID threw us all, right? So I feel like I'm still playing catch up a little bit from some of that stuff uh, and getting back to where I, you know, want to be health-wise and, and business-wise. Like, some business stuff slipped through the cracks. Like, uh, I just got overwhelmed with some things and you miss some emails. So then, you know, you don't do it. You know, it really sucks when someone wanted to do a dinner for like 15 people and you can make some good money and just like somehow their email slipped through because you had a lot going on. Like what are the systems that are going to keep me from having that happen again? Yeah, no, I, I've definitely been there. I mean, like the last few months with it, like, like I said, a lot of personal stuff in October, November, like there's still like people I reached out to podcast with that I just didn't respond to. And, there's a lot of stuff I still am catching up on, so I've definitely been there. What, um, I'm trying to put it into words, kind of, the next question, I'm just trying to think it out. Like, I feel like when I started, food, technical plating, all that stuff was so, like, important, popular, the trend. It feels like right now, like, at least on my viewpoint, like, when I, like, talk to cooks and chefs, like, there's a more of a focus on, like, the humanity of cooking and, like, what it means to be a chef and a cook and, like, good food flavors. I keep hearing that a lot. For what's your perspective right now? And like when you log onto Instagram or into TikTok, I mean, of course you'll get like the TikTok food trends and whatnot. But I feel like there's been some, like, there's really we've lost a lot of like the food obsess- obsessiveness. I would say 
and not as much as like people aren't obsessed with food, but there's more of an obsession of the humanity of everything and like what it takes to be a cook and a chef. Have you noticed that trend or what are you seeing online? Oh, definitely. And I think, I mean, I've for so long been kind of interested in more humble cooking. You know, like I've always said, I'd rather just go for like pizza and tacos, you know, as as someone who's been in the food industry for 30 years, like I've never been a huge Michelin star restaurant. Like that hasn't been my wheelhouse. And actually not really working in restaurants, like not even being a part of it on the back of the house. And um, I just think like serve good food in a good environment. I'm really interested in service and what that means. And I've been kind of obsessed with Will Gadara's book um, that came out a couple, I guess maybe a month ago, um, you know, talking about service. And I think for me, that is a big shift, like for me personally in my business, like realizing that when people hire me as a personal chef, yes, it's about the food, but I'm coming into their home. I'm being an entertainer. I'm taking care of them for their 50th wedding anniversary or their birthday or whatever, and being more focused on the overall experience, how I treat them, how I interact with them. And it's, and the food is not the first thing, like not the most important thing, which was weird as someone who is exclusively trained in the back of the house as a chef, you know? Mm -hmm. So I don't know if that answered the question, but that's like where I'm at right now. I think service is going to be a huge thing because I've gone out so much in recent months and just found service to be horrible. And when you look at the money you're spending on food, like, why am I doing this? Why am I going out to this restaurant and dropping a hundred dollars to people who really seem like they don't care that I'm there? Hmm. It's interesting. I will admit that I honestly kind of sharing the sentiment with you. I, I don't think I've been to a lot of places that where service is even like the big draw. You know, like I think I've just been to a lot of restaurants that like a lot of very casual like ramen bars type places over the last. That's what really I like to eat out of everything. Um, no, it is interesting. I think for me, it's more so like I don't know. I just like the. It's like so weird, right? It's like it's like it's so weird that COVID happened and like it felt like this big turning point. And I think a lot of people had a lot of optimism over the rest working like the results of working in restaurants and lifestyles. And I haven't seen that much of a change from a lot of people. And um, I mean, like you know, I left obviously to do to have more of a conducive lifestyle for everything I wanted to do. Uh, but I still talk to people daily that are in it, and it's like not a lot has changed, not a lot has moved forward. And it's like we fall into the old patterns of what we were used to, uh, except this time there's not like that demand. I don't think consumer-wise, uh, I knew I know the dollars spent in like the last few months of 2022 did go up a little bit, uh, but that's across all food sectors. And it's just like yeah, I, I don't know. It's very, it's almost it's like it's like a somber um, tone whenever I'm talking to people in food media. Like if you, if I would have asked people in 2019 when I started what made them passionate about food, like people couldn't wait to share about it. And a lot of times now when I reach out to people, a lot of people don't really respond. Like some do, well, I, you know, a good amount do. Obviously I post them on the page, but a lot less people do. I feel like there's a lot less people that are truly like excited to be doing what they're doing right now. And it's like sad. And I just don't know how like that, how you fix that right now in restaurants. I don't either. I mean, I have to say I'm super jazzed about going out and cooking for people every day or, you know, every time I go out, like I'm really excited about food, but, um, you know, that's the benefit of doing what I do, but no, I think it's know, just like restaurant wise, like restaurant life. I mean, that, and we're just so focusing on that. Like, I mean, if you, you don't get say, the like, staffing situation under control, like it's chaos, right? Like it all comes down to staff. If you 
need, let's say, 10 people to operate at the level that you should be, and you have six, then you're going to be working people longer hours. You're going to be working them longer days. They're going to get frustrated. It, it like, And I don't know how that's going to change. Uh, everyone's understaffed, right? Like, at least from what I understand, like, everyone's understaffed. And that was always the biggest challenge that I faced when I was running kitchens. If you don't have the people you need to run it, like everyone's just going to get burned out. And that just like starts the downward spiral and it's hard to get out of that. And mm -hmm. I, I don't know. I have no idea what the answer is for that. Yeah, that's interesting. And like you look at stuff like Michelin and stuff like when I was in culinary school in like 2016, like the list, everything was so crazy. And I'm, I'm sure being at the Culinary Institute of America, I was hyper focused on that as well. But um, you see now, like, I mean, I feel like all these ratings came out and I just like, I really didn't care, and, like, I know some people cared, but not one person, like, messaged me. And maybe it's because people know that I don't care, but, like, no one really, like, talks about it within my community, like, to an extent. Like, not a lot of people seemed, like, it's crazy. And, like, obviously, I have my qualms with doing, like, doing your cooking just to be told you're good by a, a system of people that might not even care about you or care about your well-being but beyond that just from past years to like the last two to three years like it, it doesn't seem like it matters to a lot of people anymore yeah i just saw today like on instagram someone posted like the 50 best bars in the world like i'd heard of maybe five of them and i'm like okay this is cool but like i wasn't like oh man i gotta like go to this place like there's plenty of places like to go get cocktails around here it like didn't move me at all to like even look into most of them like the number one in the world hmm, i don't know yeah I tend, I also think too, like that's, and I wish, this is where I wish maybe my career was a little bit longer before this point is like, I kind of wish I was out of culinary school and had a few years under my belt, like longer before COVID hit. Cause I graduated in, in, in middle 2018 and like was managing restaurants up and was in a management training program then managed until 2020. So, and obviously I worked during college and worked before then in restaurants, but I didn't really get that like get into in too deep until like midway through culinary school and all the ratings and stuff but i mean it's just crazy like that felt so big and then now it's just like nothing which for me is a positive because i think there's still this like demand for better worker treatment and especially in those places but still i mean it's just yeah i don't know i guess what i'm trying to say is like I, going into 2023 like i i put this in the newsletter and i talked about it a little bit i just think there's like a really a big want to get back to fundamentals a big want to just like have people have solid jobs where they go in, not kill themselves and go home and not just like overwork themselves a ton. Like they just can go in and do a job and not feel totally like depleted and drained. Um, so I don't know. I just, I'm interested to see what 2023 holds. I'm interested to see how worker sentiment is. And I'm interested to see how like line cooks and stuff have, you know, their, how they interact this year with each other and the restaurant scene as a whole. Is there anywhere you've gone recently that you really loved, like dining out? Hmm. Anywhere I've gone that I've really loved. I'm in Chicago. I'm living in a Chicago suburb right now. Um, <laughs> I haven't been out too much. I'll say Strings Ramen. Um, Strings Ramen is a... They have a couple shops here in Chicago, and they have one out in my suburb that I'm living in. And I used to go to them in the city when I lived there, but and I moved away and then I just moved back recently. Um, and I went there and it was just like, it was still just delicious. It was still so good. And it was still like everything I craved in like a tonkatsu ramen. So that definitely has was something for me that was just like, so like the last time I had them was pre-COVID and like to go back and then to still execute on this bowl of ramen that I love. Like, yeah, that was great. But, like a, pretty, but like a relatively casual place. 
casual place. Yeah, I haven't been anywhere. <laughs> I don't think I've really been anywhere um, that has been very, like, I would say, quote unquote, fine dining in a very long time. Yeah, me either. No, um, I've been on like a solid pizza tour. Like we have this place, Rad Pies around here actually they won the world pizza championship for the best deep dish uh well not deep like um pan pizza so i guess it's like their Mm -hmm. detroit pizza and they have really cool funky stuff like i had a birria pizza um last week with you know like cheeto dust on the top and like lime and Mm -hmm. crema like interesting stuff and you know it's like a delicious pizza and it's 16 bucks you know and it's in a brewery and uh that's kind of like my vibe and i went to new york city and like did kind of like a pizza crawl when i was in new york city not too long ago Oh, we went to, we went, uh, out into Chinatown in, um, New York and that was really awesome too. Like going out for dim sum. So Namwa, I don't know if you've ever been there. I think they've been around for like 60 years or 80 years or something like that. And you know, we got like 15 plates of like little stuff and that was really cool. Well, I think for me over the last few years, it's been kind of, I've been out exploring, but it's been more so like finding stuff local to me that are like favorites that are maybe stuff that I wouldn't cook at home. I feel like now that I'm at a point where I can cook a lot of things at home. And of course they're not going to be as well as someone who's done them for years, but I can kind of get that craving knocked out. But for example, uh, when I was living in Maryland, there was um, a pupuseria Vanessa in Laurel, Maryland that just serves incredible pupuses that I've probably went to more than anywhere else while living there. And then the second place I went to more than anywhere else while living there was like literally a mile away called Taquiera Los Primos. And they served like the best, like just most delicious um, birria quesadilla. And it was like so good. And they would have like whole like pork, like boils where they would like make like shred pork tacos that they cooked in this delicious liquid and you just walk up with a tortilla and they give it to you. So that's the stuff I've really been interested in and like going to. I feel like over the last few months with moving, I haven't had the time to explore too much, but um. Yeah, no, those are like definitely some of the highlights, and I'm excited to kind of get back into the Chicago food scene and see what's out there. Yeah, amazing food city, uh, even you know, especially for fine dining, kind of. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think for fine dining, but I also love going up into Chinatown uh, and all those different places. There's so many cool uh, restaurants and delicious restaurants. Phoenix Dim Sum is one that comes to mind that I really love, um, and then Sunwa Barbecue is another like favorite of mine. So I definitely have a lot of places to revisit as well. Cool. Yeah. I definitely, uh, there's one, um, there's one thing that I think is really cool about Chicago is the, like I live in the suburbs and it's easy for me to get a train into the city. So I feel very, that I have a lot of access to that. Um, and so I think for me, a lot of weekends will be spent taking the train into the city and exploring more. Cause when I worked, lived here before I worked, I was managing a restaurant, so I didn't really have a lot of time um, on my hands. So I feel like I'm owed some uh, time to go explore the city. I love. So I haven't spent much time there at all. Uh, when I was in culinary school, I thought I wanted to work at Charlie Trotter's, but that didn't work out. And um, it's probably for the best. Like somehow I don't think that that would have uh, been a good place for me to grow. But at the time, you know, it was like the number one restaurant in the country, if not like, mm-hmm. you know, the world maybe. Um, so I've always been kind of obsessed with Chicago, but I've minimally spent time there. Cool, cool. I wanted to ask you a couple quick questions uh, not involving food while we kind of wrap up our chat here. Sure. First of them being, is there any media you consumed recently, books, podcasts, that don't relate to food, but that you're going to use, like what you listened to or what you learned uh, in like your processes? I mean, going back to Will Gadara's book. Have you have you read the book yet? No. Could you, book, is, what is the name of it? Um, I can't let's Google it real quick. 
Yeah, it's on my bookshelf if I could see it behind me. Um, unreasonable hospitality. Yes, unreasonable okay. hospitality. I've read it in like a week. Do you, do you know Will? Like from Eleven Madison Park. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I don't know him personally, but I do uh, know yeah, him sure, is. sure. Um, you know, but the whole but the whole book is about what made Eleven Madison Park really great. Like took them to the next level was the hospitality aspect. You know, when they looked at the world's fifty best restaurants. Uh, and where they were positioned on it's because those restaurants also had a strong front of house and not just like stuffy formal dining, but just kind of like how you treated people. And there's a lot of great anecdotes about the things they did there. And it's a quick, Mm -hmm. easy read. And it just kind of makes me again, like refocus on my customers. Like when I was starting my business, I did a lot of things like handwritten thank you notes and like um, gifts for the host when I went to their house. And then, you know, like six years later, I've got so much business. You're just like showing up and cooking and it's fine and they enjoy it. But it's like, like how long would it take for me to like write a note and give them like a little box of chocolates from my favorite shop? Like that kind of stuff I think goes a long way. And I started doing that when I started my business and it kind of dropped off in recent years. So like this book was kind of like a refocus on that or, you know, like when a customer fills out a survey and they say they like this thing, even if I don't incorporate it into the menu um, that they get, like, is there a way for me to do that as a comp dish? If they say scallops are their favorite thing ever. And for whatever reason, it's not on the menu they pick. Like, can I still do a comp scallop dish for them? So for me, it was just kind of thinking about like the overall customer experience and going mm-hmm. from like good to great, kind of. Um, okay. So that's you know within the food field, um, but not directly related to cooking. Um, cool. I just need time for my brain to relax. I love listening to music, um, mm-hmm. you know, getting out in nature and stuff like that. And it's amazing the kind of things that pop into your head when you're doing that. Yeah. No. Definitely. I think uh, for me to kind of add into this answer is I read uh, Ryan Holiday's new book, Discipline Is Destiny. And um, really just reinforcing, I, I'd read, so I read Atomic Habits this year, this last year, and then I read that to end of the year. I think it just really reinforced like habits and how important those little wins every day, how important it is to have those and to build up over time. So I think for me this year is just a really big focus on being disciplined in small, actionable pieces of progress that, you know, if I look at now and I look at the end of the year, you'll, you know, hopefully see a, big, a change in whatever you're trying to go for. So that's important for me. My uh, last question for you, is there a recipe you want to like try this year that you, is there anything that is like really sticking out to you, a food or anything that you really wanted to try? I want to get better at ice cream. I've, um, okay. I've made ice cream a number of years. I have good base recipes. I just bought the Ninja Creamy, which is supposedly like a Paco Jet, um, oh. still in the box. Okay. I just got it. It's like a $120 Paco Jet light, as it's described. Chris Young uh, did like kind of like a breakdown on YouTube. Like I wasn't sure, but when the guy from Modernist Cuisine kind of like puts it through the pace and says like, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, they had like a Black Friday deal for 50% off. So I think I got it for like 60 bucks, um, but just wow. been so overwhelmed. I haven't had a chance to do it. And I'm hoping that I can take my ice cream game to the next level. And like, that's something I would love to do is just keep churning out like high end ice creams and, and like fun flavors. Um, well, so I might have to get the, this. So keep yeah. me updated on what you do. So maybe I will. I'll, a... I'll do videos in my own reviews and stuff. So this week, <laughs> I think I'm going to work on a, have you ever had grape nut ice cream? Do you know what I'm talking about? No. It's no, like no grape nut cereal. It's, do you know grape nut cereal? Um, they're not good. So. They're like a, a, I think they're actually literally like the first cereal ever made. And it was for like the military. Oh, I, it was yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. 
And it's kind of like, like malty <laughs> barley, kind of. But in yeah. New England, they put it in desserts. It's really weird. So grape nut ice cream is a big thing in New England, mm-hmm. where I'm from. And also grape nut pudding. So basically, like grape nut ice creams, you make a vanilla base and then you churn the cereal in um, at the last phase before you freeze it. And it kind of absorbs the ice cream base and then it like mushes out a little. So it's got a little chew to it. But it's like a nice roasted barley flavor. It's an acquired taste, but it's my all-time favorite ice cream. But I want to try it with a butterscotch base. So I'm going to – my first ice cream is going to be I'm going to do a butterscotch ice cream, and then I'm going to put the, the grape nut cereal in there, and we're going to see. That sounds actually so, really good. I would eat that. And I'm still working on everything masa. Like I love Masienda's masa products. I love the new cookbook by them. I did pupusas last week, so I'm trying to up my pupusa game and just work nice. my way through all of like the masa shapes. Like just getting better and better and better at tacos and uh, all that stuff. I made masa cookies, which were delicious. Nice. Yeah. For me this year, uh, I really want to get back into a deep dive of ramen. I, I a few years ago before COVID, I really was into uh, Ivan Ramen, like his cookbook. I, mm-hmm. I really cooked the whole thing, and it was really amazing. Like it was so much fun. But um, my ch- I've never made one as I want to make a beef Wellington this year. Is I know it's like traditional old school. I've just never made one, and it seems like it's a fun challenge. So I and it's really popular again now, right? Like it's en vogue. Yeah, I think everyone was making popular. this year. I don't know that I've ever made one myself, like ever. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We I worked at a place where we did like a deconstructed, which is just kind of BS. Like you did a fillet with a little mushroom topping, and you cooked like a disc of puff pastry and like put it off to the side, but never done the whole rapid bake it thing. I don't know. Yeah, I want to try it. And then dessert wise, I don't bake a lot and i'd love to like get a really good cookie recipe a really good like cake recipe um so i, I just want to go a little bit out of my comfort zone because most of the times i'm cooking at home is like quick like sauteed proteins and stuff because that's what i'm having for dinner but i really want to like have more in-depth cooking this year so yeah i mean with my business i have no set menu so everything's so different i could have four parties in a week and every party has a different soup and a different salad and entree and dessert. So like I have a huge arsenal of things. So I'm getting to try new stuff all the time. And for me, it's like sending out more kind of comp dishes. Like I used to let my guests pick all their courses and now I give them a portion of it. And then I have some like make what I want courses. So I'll be trying a ton of new stuff this year. Awesome. Well, Chris, it's been a pleasure talking to you again. If you want to drop all your like social handles now, that'd be great. Yeah. I think the best place for people to find me is chefs without restaurants. Go on Instagram, um, chefs without restaurants or perfect little bites. So perfect little bites is more of my food. Chefs without restaurants is the community. And I would love everyone to check out the chefs without restaurants podcast on all platforms. Awesome. Well, Chris, thanks again so much for coming on the show. Always a pleasure. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. So there you have my conversation with Chris Spear. Thank you all so much for listening to the show. Thank you to Chris for coming on. Uh, obviously, always a pleasure. Go check out Chefs Without Restaurants on Instagram. Go to chefswithoutrestaurants.com to see more of Chris's work. And I will see you all on the next Line Cook Thoughts podcast. <laughs>